And so, as I said, this morning's message, we're going to take up the topic of presenting a philosophy of ministry, a philosophy of ministry. I know that's, that's a unique thing to do. We don't typically do that on a Sunday morning. And so this is, a, this is a unique kind of opportunity this morning to talk about philosophy of ministry, and not just any philosophy of ministry, but a children's ministry uh, philosophy of ministry. And so if you're a visitor, we do practice sequential exposition here at Rosedale Bible Church. What do I mean by that? I mean, we actually teach through the Bible, verse by verse. That's what we typically do on a Sunday morning. We don't typically do topical messages like this. So it is a unique opportunity this morning that you are here to hear a message like this. Again, this morning's message is going to be different. And so we're, we're going to suggest a biblical philosophy of children's ministry, or as my title suggests, a God-honoring children's ministry. What does that look like? And what are the pillars of a God-honoring children's ministry? Well, first off, what exactly is a philosophy of ministry? What do I mean by that? What is a philosophy of ministry? Well, a philosophy of ministry is this. It is a set of non-negotiable biblical principles that guide all the choices and decisions of your ministry. That's what a philosophy of ministry is. A set of non-negotiable biblical principles that guides all the choices and decisions of your ministry. By the way, I'm going to move quick through this message, so hang on. Okay, we're going to move fast. I have too many notes, but we're going to get there together. So uh, that's what a, not, uh, so philosophy of ministry is a set of non-negotiable biblical principles that guides all the choices and decisions of your ministry. And so philosophy of ministry is a grid. It's a funnel, you might say, through which every decision, every choice, every plan is sifted and eva- evaluated. And it's saying that this, uh, this philosophy of ministry is a biblical philosophy of ministry or a God-honoring philosophy of ministry. What we're saying is what we're proposing is that these ideas are based on the careful exposition of Scripture. We didn't just make them up, okay? They're based on what Scripture says. And so the careful exposition of Scripture would include explicit commands. What does the Bible explicitly say about children and children's ministry, and also what is implicit. What, what uh, principles, patterns, and methods are implicitly or implied in Scripture that we can derive ideas from and put them into practice. And so you have explicit commands and you have implicit principles that are contained in Scripture. And that's because the, the Bible is not a textbook, right? It's not like we can open up our Bibles and go to the, the, the chapter on children's ministry and then figure out how to build a children's ministry. It doesn't work that way. So we have a narrative. We have God's story of redemption. And so how do we take all of those ideas and build a philosophy of ministry from them? And so before we dive in, this is all introduction, I want you to know a couple things. We have to make a couple things very clear. The first thing we have to talk about is I have to talk a little bit about my experience in children's ministry. What, what does children's ministry mean to me? Why do I care about it? Well, I want you to know, uh, I want you to know about that, a little bit about that. The, so uh, while I was in seminary, there was an advertisement that came over my desk, and it was an advertisement to get involved in the ministry. And this advertisement um, promised lots of ministry experience, and it promised tuition reimbursement. I won't tell you which one I was more interested in. Uh, <laughs> But I applied for that internship in children's ministry, and I got the job. And so very first uh, semester in seminary, I entered into children's ministry. And from that point on, I spent basically 10 years of ministry in children's ministry, focusing on children's ministry. So my entire um, 
ministry experience in seminary for those four years, three and a half years, was in children's ministry. I was in the junior's ministry, which was fourth through sixth grade ministry, and I eventually was the director of that program. I, was, I went to the master's seminary. This was in L.A., so a Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church, and so I was the director of the, the, the junior's ministry there, fourth through sixth grade ministry. After graduating seminary, I went to a church in Tempe, and I was over the NGM, which was the Next Generation Ministries, their children's ministry there. did that for four or five years. Uh, So I was director over there of that church. And then I came here as the associate pastor of Rosedale Bible Church. And what did I do here? Well, I didn't focus on children's ministry, but I focused on student ministries. And so I was a youth pastor for three years. And so for about 10 years, my my ministry has really been focused on children's ministry. And so having done that, I just, I've thought a lot about children's ministry. I have a deep value for, for children's ministry. I love children's ministry. Beyond that, I'm a parent, right? I'm a parent. I got kids. Uh, and so I got six kids, and they're, and they're very much involved in children's ministry. We have Lazarus, who's two years old, and we have Liberty, who is going to be 16. I don't know where she is, but she's going to be 16 next month. So a two-year-old and a 16-year-old. Uh, so I have, you know, all my kids are either in children's ministry or, or, or are still in youth ministry. So I'm, I'm deeply invested, and I have a, a heartbeat for children's ministry. It's near and dear to my heart, you might say. Number two, the, the second thing you have to understand, you have to understand this, that this message is not a corrective. Did you hear me say that? It's not a corrective. I am not correcting anything that we're doing wrong. That is not at all what I'm doing here this morning. In fact, what I want you to understand is that this sermon is really about what we're doing best. It's about improving what we're doing best at Rosedale Bible Church. I honestly believe that. It's about improving what we're doing best. So it's in no way is this a corrective. Uh, that being said, I want you to hear my heartbeat on this issue. And so this message is not a condemnation. It's not a corrective. It's an attempt to share my heart and to lead you as a pastor. What does your pastor think about children's ministry? What does he value? What is his heartbeat for this ministry? And so that's my hope this morning. So you know something about my experience. You know that this is not a corrective. And thirdly, you should know something about who this message is for. Who am I speaking to this morning? Well, I think I'm speaking to everybody. And this message is really for everyone. If you're a parent, I want you to know what the leadership of this church thinks about children's ministry. What is our perspective on children's ministry? Do we value it? Do we care about it? Well, if you're a parent, I want you to know that we do value, we, we prize it, we think very highly of it. I'm spending a whole Sunday addressing it and talking about it to you. And so, and we want, to he- we want you to hear our heartbeat on children's ministry. If you're a children's ministry servant, I want you to know what does the goalpost look like? What are we kicking at? What are we aiming for? What, what do we value? What, what do we want this thing to look like? Uh, what do we want children's ministry to look like? If you're a regular tender, if you're a member of Rosedale Bible Church, well, I want you to begin to see the value and the significance of children's ministry. It is a tremendously important ministry. I have a, a, a big, hairy, audacious goal. You've heard that before, a BHAG. I don't know if you've heard anybody say that. Colin says that in his book about productivity. But anyway, you know, I have this big, hairy, audacious goal that every single person in our church would in some way be involved and engaged in children's ministry. 
And in some way, they'd have, you know, whether it's ministering to parents, whether it's serving as a leader and a teacher, whether it's holding a baby in a classroom, in, in some way that every single person of our, church, of our church would be engaged in children's ministry. And so that's, that's my goal. And so if you're a, a, a regular person sitting in the pew, this is for you that you would get involved, that you would see the significance of this. And so even if you're a child, there are children here that are with us, some older children, I want you to know that we care about you. We, we care about you as children. We, we, we value you. And so we want, to, we want to design and craft ministries that, that show that you are significant and you are important. We, we deeply care about you. So in that way, in that sense, this message is for everybody. Number four, <clears throat> finally, I want you to know that, that I have not vetted every single aspect of this philosophy of ministry with our elders. I want you to know that. That, that I think a lot, in a lot of ways, some of our elders are coming alongside me on this. So I'm, I'm standing as one of the elders, but I'm standing, you might say, as a leader among equals. And I'm leading also our elders in this. And so some of our elders might say something a little bit different. They might nuance something a little bit. That's okay. I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a positive aspect of plural elder leadership. That we, we have nuances and it's a nuanced discussion. And so one where one elder might focus on something a certain way, I might focus on it a little different. We're not, we're not saying two different things. It's just the way that the discussion kind of happens sometimes. It's, it can be nuanced. And so I want you to know, I haven't vetted everything, but your elders stand together on this biblical philosophy of ministry, biblical philosophy of children's ministry. Excuse me. <clears throat> You with me so far? Okay. I know this isn't normal. This is more of kind of like a, a lecture, but we're going for it here. So here we go. Seven pillars to a God-honoring children's ministry. Seven pillars to a God-honoring children's ministry. Now, that, that, that's saying something, but it doesn't really give you any purpose, does it? There's no so that statement there. And so if you think about why are we doing this, What's the point? I'll give you, a, if you're taking notes, I can give you that. Seven pillars of a God-honoring children's ministry so that, here's the purpose statement, it's not on the screen, but so that we might become the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. So that we might become the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved. What am I talking about there? I'm talking about the 2 Corinthians 2.15. You can write down that, 2 Corinthians 2.15. Paul says this, he says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then he says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for such things? Who is sufficient for, for such things? So what we want to be, what we want to do in a children's ministry is we want to be the aroma of Christ to, to, to people that we hope and pray are being saved. That's our goal. And so in order to achieve that, we have these seven pillars before us. So how are we going to do that? How do we become the aroma of Christ in children's ministry? Well, number one, here's the first point. Understand God's special love for children. Understand God's special love for children. Mark chapter 10 was our scripture reading this morning. Uh, 
you, 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 you can recall that. I'm, I'm not going to read that again, uh, but I do want to read another passage. It's in Matthew 18. You can go to Matthew 18 if you, if you want to follow along. Some of this will go quickly, but uh, you can navigate to Matthew 18 if you like. Uh, you recall or remember that in, in ancient culture, children were not prized. Uh, they, were not, they were not highly prized. Uh, they were to be seen, but certainly not to be heard. And men, of course, were found at the top of the social ladder, and women below them, and then children. And so, Jesus turns this all upside down in Mark 10, which we already read, but also in Matthew 18. Look at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, "'Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?' And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea." Glance over at Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. This is kind of a parallel of the Mark 10 passage. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. This is 19, 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So understand, God has a soft spot for children. God has a soft spot for children. As we've seen, Jesus' countercultural attention that is given to children. God speaks positively about children. Bring them to me. In fact, you can't, be, you can't even enter into my kingdom unless you're like one of these. You're like a child. So there's a priority given to children. This means that when, not if, when you get involved into children's ministry, you will be you will be involved in a ministry that is close to the heart of God, that is near to God's heart. Charles Spurgeon exhorts us, quote, You are teaching children, he says. Mind what you are doing. Put poison in the spring and it will impregnate the whole stream. Take care what you are after, sir. You are twisting the sapling and the old oak will be bent thereby. Have a care. It is a child's soul you are tampering with. If you are tampering at all, it is a child's soul you are preparing for eternity. If God is with you, I give you a solemn admonition, Spurgeon says, on every child's behalf. Surely, if it be treachery to administer poison to the dying, it must be far more criminal to give poison to the young life. If it be evil to mislead gray-headed age, it must be far more so to turn aside the young heart to a road of error in which he may forever walk. It's a solemn admonition, he says. You are teaching children. Because God loves children, we ought, to, we ought to be offering, this is an additional point, because God loves children in such a way, as Spurgeon said here and as the Scriptures teach, we, off, we ought to be offering an environment of lavish care. This is something that, this is kind of a thread that I want to kind of weave in, it's not a principle, but it's a thread that I want to weave throughout everything I say this morning. This idea of a lavish care environment, a lavish care environment. This is what we want to offer our, 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 ch our children and what we want to offer our parents in our children's ministry. This is simply my way of saying 
that because Jesus has a special love for children, we should exemplify that special love by doing as much as humanly possible to offer exceptional care for our kids and for our parents in a lavish care environment. This means we bend over backwards to meet every single need of a child or of a parent. We roll out the red carpet, you might say. I know it's cliche, right? Like the the father in Luke 15, we butcher the fatted calf. I know we're not going to kill any cows, but you get the point, right? We 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 go the extra mile. We do everything humanly possible to meet every single need of the child and of the parent. We approach our care and preparation as if kings and queens are going to be here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever we gather and whenever we have kids that are involved in our ministries. And this applies to parents as well. It's not just the kids, but it's also the parents. If a visiting family comes to our info booth and they want to know what's going on, where do I go? What do I do? We take them there. We guide them. We show them. We make sure that there's no question that's unanswered. Is there anything else I can help you with? How can I serve you? Do you have any questions? You want to see the room? What, what can I do? Can I walk you over there? We, we do anything and everything we can to make sure that that parent has, 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 understands that we are giving this child and their family this lavish care environment. We would move heaven and earth to make sure that they leave our ministry knowing that they have absolutely been cared for in the same way that God would care for us. We never step at, we never step, stop asking the question, how can we improve? How can we get better? How can we make this ministry look more like God's care for us? How can we better accommodate our parents and our kids? How can we make sure that the aroma of Christ is here in our ministry? Let me summarize this. Summarize our first point here. In the ancient Near East, this is my summary, in the ancient Near East, children were treated as second-class citizens. However, as I'm proposing, God has a special interest in children. The way Jesus deals with children teaches us this, teaches us this. Therefore, our ministry must be born out of his special care for children. We must offer a lavish care environment. How's that sound? Pretty good? Okay, that's the first point, right? Number one, understand God's special love for children. Here's the second point. Understand a child's spiritual potential from God. Understand a child's spiritual potential from God. Now, modern secular psychology teaches us that a a child cannot grasp abstract concepts until he's age 12. That's kind of modern secular uh, developmental psychology will, will tell you that. It's old, it's old research, but it's still used today. Uh, apparently, children must enter into what's called the formal operational stage to grasp abstract concepts, and they don't get into that stage until they're age 11. Well, that's what the world thinks. And friends, they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong about that. According to this reasoning, you'd have to wait until your child is 11 in order for them to understand any abstract theological concept. Well, you know that's not true. That's absolutely wrong. Here's the truth. God has built children, has given children an incredible theological potential, an incredible theological potential. They can understand and believe some of the deepest cardinal truths of our faith. 
I believe that because God has a special love for children that he has given them a robust ability to comprehend, put it in the mind, but also to apprehend, to, to put their arms around these concepts, to comprehend and to apprehend spiritual realities. I fully believe that God has given children the ability to understand the following truths. You're a sinner. Your sins should be punished. Jesus is God. Jesus died for your sins. God loves people, and yet he's angry with sin. You need to reject your sin and seek forgiveness from God. There are other abstract truths. Oh, I had a handout and I lost it. <clears throat> there are other abstract truths that, that kids can understand. Reconciliation, um, forgiveness. Here it is. I found it. Don't worry. The virgin birth. They can understand that. A sinless life. Miraculous power. Heavenly wisdom. Uh, the idea of someone dying on the cross. Raised uh, the resurrection. They can understand that. The Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Savior, Jesus, Christ, that God is a creator, that God is holy, that he's immeasurably gracious, that he's a judge, that he's trustworthy. The idea of condescension. Maybe they don't understand that word, but they understand the idea of stooping down. They can understand that reality. Reconciliation, substitution, sin, sinfulness, rebellion, all of these things a child can understand. Some of this is simply because a child's mind is full of wonder. A child's mind is full of wonder. So when you talk about a creator God, they imagine, they imagine it. Imagine it. Imagine it. They imagine it. They, it's, they put it in their mind. When, when they see Jesus on the cross, they really see Jesus on the cross. They imagine what it looks like. They put a picture in their mind. They're not hindered by hardness of heart. They're not hindered by the skepticism and the, all that stuff that happens to us when we turn into adults. Right? The, we're calloused. We're, we don't, we don't, we're not interested as adults. A child is not this way. A child's mind is wide open to the idea of a creator God who sent his son Jesus to save the world. A child's mind is, is wide open to that truth. Think about all the spiritual truth that can be taught and understood when one sibling sins against another. Right? When, a, when a child you know, grabs Teddy out of the, the brother or sister's arms, you know, and, and there's, there's a scream fest, you know, the, 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 the process of taking that child and instructing that child back to, that, to the other sibling and having them give that, that toy back and then ask to be forgiven and confess their sin. And then there's reconciliation that happens. And then the, child's, the children hug each other and they're reconciled to one another. I mean, what a perfect picture of what God is doing from, from that simple little thing that happens, I mean, how many times a day? All the time at home right? You can, you, can, you can take that illustration and you can talk about Jesus and forgives us. It can absolutely understand those concepts. A man named Edward Hammond spent 30 years directing his ministry at children. He wrote two books on the subject. He came to believe that children can understand enough of the gospel message to experience conversion. This is like during the Second Great Awakening uh, period and where people were doing tent ministries and all these people were coming to know the Lord, this, this man focused specifically on evangelizing children. And so for 30 years, he directed his ministry at children's ministry uh, 
in evangelizing children. He said this, every child, quote, every child that is old enough to sin is old enough to be conscious of sin. And the consciousness of sin always prepares the way for the Savior. And when a Savior is presented, the child seizes hold of the idea just as the man does. A drowning child will struggle for life, will catch its straws even, just as the man will. It would be a strange thing if the plan of salvation, it would be a strange thing if when so large a proportion of children die in infancy or childhood, the plan of salvation were so beyond their apprehension that they could not lay hold of it. What's the point? A child has, there's the point, a child has great spiritual potential before God. A child can be saved. Does the Bible support this? Is this just man's idea or does the Bible support this? Well, I think the Bible does support this. Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16 is a good passage. Um, Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out of the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. The children are crying out, Jesus is God, and they're angry. So what do they do? They said to him, they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying, what these children are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? And then he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. He quotes David. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Out of the mouth of children, you've prepared praise. Jesus quotes 8, 2, Psalm 8, 2. He leans on the psalmist to declare that even children can declare God's lordship. Here the religious leaders are indignant, they're angry. Jesus is turning all that upside down. He's telling, teaching them that these children are actually praising God. What's the moral of the story? Well, it's just this, that children have a profound spiritual capacity to understand spiritual truth and even to worship God, even to worship God. Now, hear me, I'm not saying that the majority of our kids in our ministry are saved. I'm not saying that, not at all. On the contrary, I believe that we should approach children's ministry as an evangelistic ministry. We should approach it as an evangelistic ministry. Uh, from my perspective, we're dealing with mostly unbelievers in this ministry. Think about this. If you take our, our uh, student ministry, so our youth ministry, that's our 7th through 12th grade ministry. Typically, that's not considered children's ministry. Typically, children's ministry is, is up through sixth grade. So you have children's ministry through sixth grade, and then seventh through twelfth grade is typically kind of like a youth ministry, youth group. You're familiar with those ideas. But they're still kids, right? They're still kids. And so if you take our youth group, seventh through twelfth grade, I mean, how many of those kids are saved? Not all of them, right? I don't know. Half of them? I don't even know. They're not all baptized in, in our children's ministry. So if you start there, let's say, uh, you know, a portion of them is saved. Well, then you go to the next, go down a phase. So then go from our first through sixth grade ministry. So if only a portion of those youth ministry kids are saved, we go to our children's ministry. How many of those kids are saved? More or less? Probably less. <laughs> and then go down to our preschool kindergarten ministry. How many of those kids are saved? Probably none of them. And so you have this ministry that is almost entirely filled with un unbelieved people. And so you have a massive evangelistic effort 
in children's ministry week after week. In fact, the largest group, the largest group of unbelievers, I hope this is true, the largest, I don't know if I hope it's true or not. Anyway, it is true. The largest group of unbelievers on this campus every Sunday is, chill, is our kids' ministry. It's the largest group of unbelievers. Right now, there's a host of unbelievers right outside these doors, right now. And those, those leaders right now are ministering. They're doing an evangelistic work with those kids as we speak. Does that give you reason to pray? I mean, right now, they're speaking the truth of God into the hearts and minds of our kids. That's amazing. And part of our vision here at Rosedale Bible Church is what? We see people hungry for God's word, sacrificially caring for one another, and, and what? Desperate to reach the lost. Well, those people over there, what are they doing? They're actually exercising that muscle. They're being desperate to reach the lost right now as we speak. And so if you're struggling, maybe, maybe you're here at Rosedale Bible Church, you're a member, you're a regular attender, and you're like, man, I'm hungry for God's word, and I, I think I'm caring for, for people, but man, this whole desperate thing to reach the lost, I'm really struggling in that area. That's hard for me. You know what? I've teed you up on Sunday morning. Here it is. You're desperate? Well, guess what? There's an opportunity right here. There's an opportunity right here for you to fulfill that every Sunday, week in and week out, and Wednesday night. You can be with our kids. You can be desperate to reach the lost right here. Start with the kids. And then you see what the Lord does with that as he, as he builds it out. I've lost track of my notes. Let me summarize our second point. Since God has prepared praise, since God has prepared praise for himself from the mouth of babes, Matthew 21, 16, we recognize that God enables children to grasp spiritual concepts. This is in contrast to secular developmental psychology, which teaches that children can't grasp spiritual concepts until the age of 11. God has actually created children with the ability to comprehend spiritual things. They can understand that Jesus is God, people are sinners, sinners must be punished, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. So, number one, understand God has a special love for children. Number two, understand a child's spiritual potential. And number three, number three, honor the priority of parents. Honor the priority of parents. Our ministry is only going to be truly effective if we're intentionally ministering to parents, if we're intentionally ministering to parents. The first thing we have to understand is this. It is the parents, <clears throat> excuse me, it is the parents' responsibility to raise their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That is the parents' responsibility. You can turn to Psalm 78. Turn to Psalm 78, and while you turn to Psalm 78, I'm going to remind you of a couple things from Deuteronomy 6. So you're turning to Psalm 78, and I'm reading Deuteronomy 6. You remember this, the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then what does it say? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the Bible doesn't give us some specific parental methodology that you have, to, you have to do A, B, and C. What the Bible says is that no matter where you are, what you're doing, talk to your kids about Jesus. 
Talk to them about the Lord when you're driving them to school, when you're outside working in the backyard, you know, when you're praying before dinner, whatever you're doing, whenever you're doing, when you're tucking them into to bed, in any aspect of life, you need to be speaking to your kids about the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 11 says the same thing. You can write down Deuteronomy 11 verses 18 and 19. It just kind of reiterates that Deuteronomy 6 passage. And so I told you to turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, I have to do that myself. Psalm 78, 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known. Look what it says. That who has told us? That our fathers have told us. Our fathers have told us. So, so these amazing things that we're going to speak, these dark sayings, these secret hidden things that are, that are too great to fathom, our fathers told them to us. And then what? And we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generations, four generations, right? The, the, the one before tells, the, the fathers told us, we tell our kids and they tell their kids. Four generations. How many, how many people do we know that there's faithfulness in four generations? I wish we knew more. I mean, that would be amazing to have four generations, maybe the files, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of you here today, thought of you. So, you know, four generations of faithfulness, okay? What are these sayings? What are these sayings? Verse four, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. These are the things that we're supposed to be telling our kids about. This is worship. This is what worship looks like to declare God's deeds, his might in the world. That's what we're supposed to be declaring to our kids Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So that, why are we doing this? So that they should do what? Set their hope in God. That's a call of salvation. That they would see who God is and that they would set their hope in God and be saved they would actually trust in this great and mighty God, that they would set their hope in God. And so what does it matter? And it says, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments so that they would worship God. They would come to know him in a salvific way and that they would obey God. They would keep his commandments and honor his word. <clears throat> Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's the parent's job. It's the parent's job, which is to say, not our job. It's the parent's job through discipline and instruction to shepherd the heart of a child towards worship, salvation, and obedience of the Lord. That's what the scriptures teach. Both Deuteronomy and this psalm here is what I'm using to make that point. The point here is that parents have this great responsibility. Parents have this great responsibility. I realize that my purpose here this morning is not to speak about parenting. That's not my goal. It's to speak about children's ministry in the local church. That being said, I wanted to demonstrate that parents, parents have the privilege and the responsibility to train up their children in the ways of the Lord. And this, friends, is not the responsibility of a children's ministry. It's not the responsibility of a children's ministry. 
That being said, it's the privilege and joy of a children's ministry to bring assistance to the parents, or as I say, to come alongside parents and support them in their efforts to shepherd the hearts of their children. We come alongside them, we support them, we help them, we bring assistance to them. How can we do that? How do we come alongside parents in their efforts to fulfill what Scripture calls them to do in training their kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Here's an idea. Why don't we ask them? Why don't we ask them? Why don't we ask parents, uh, what does it look like to help you? What should our priority be? What should we focus on? How are we doing? Are we putting uh, together a lavish care environment? When you drop your kids off here, do you feel like we've rolled out the red carpet for you? That we've done everything possible to minister to your family and to your, to your kids? How can we serve you better? How can we communicate with you better? What are the things that you'd like to know? How can we be clearer about what we're doing? Ask the parents. Find out from them. How are we doing? Again, this is a, a, a process of always improving, always wanting to, to provide that lavish care environment. Here's the reality. Most children's ministries largely focus on kids, and they focus very little on parents. It's just the reality. They focus heavily on kids and very little on parents. If you're a parent, what percentage of the ministry do you think is focused on you? 5%? 10%? Less than that? Probably very little. Almost entirely, the, the ministry is focused on the kids. Well, how can we come alongside parents, support them in their responsibility to train up their kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? This is an opportunity for growth for us. I believe it is. And this isn't the discipleship ministry team's responsibility. It's not the leader's responsibility. Church, it's our responsibility. It's each of our responsibility to engage in the life of our parents. Here's an idea. Maybe you've raised kids. You're an empty nester, as, as they call them. I don't know what that's like. But maybe your kids are gone, right? Well, here, here's what you need to do. Find a family, find a young family that's raising kids and get to know them. Meet them, talk to them, engage in their life. Just ask them, how can I pray for you in your parenting? How can I pray for you? And just start a process of praying for a family. Maybe at that point, something happens, needs arise. Maybe they ask you questions. Maybe you can come alongside them and help them as they aim to honor the Lord in their parenting endeavors. And so, how do we honor the priority of parents in our children's ministry? As I said, number one, recognize it's the parent's responsibility to discipline and instruct their children in the Lord. Number two, come alongside parents in order to listen to their needs, their desires, their wishes, pray for them. Number three, I'll say it again, create a lavish care environment. Create a lavish care environment. I mentioned this already. We want to elevate care for our kids. Our children's ministry should be a yes environment a yes environment. What do I mean by that? I mean, you're not allowed to say no. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Our staff should not be allowed to say no. We want to accommodate every need. Every detail should be meticulously met, and every effort should be made to excel in every aspect of this ministry. It is an A++ ministry. Do you understand that? 
It's the highest standard possible because we're taking care of people's kids. It demands that. It has to be absolutely excellent in every single way. Here's a thought. The gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is immensely offensive. It is so tremendously offensive. Do you understand that? Do you understand how offensive the gospel is? Listen to Luke 14. Now, great crowds, we always, we always kind of downplay this kind of stuff, right? Now, great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, you have to hate your own life. That's how offensive the gospel is. He cannot be my disciple, Jesus says. You can't be my disciple unless you hate your life. That is tremendously offensive. All we want to do is excuse Jesus out. Well, he doesn't mean this. He doesn't mean that. He can't mean this. No, Jesus means it. You have to hate your life. And you have to love the life that he offers beyond anything else. It is the most offensive message humanly possible ever delivered in the history of the world. Now I'm preaching to you. And that's true. And any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you put your hand to the plow in Luke 6 and Luke 9, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You know how many times I've looked back? Right? We feel that in our heart. That is the most tremendously offensive thing you could ever say. Church, that is the only thing that should ever be offensive here. That's the only thing that should be offensive. Nothing else should be offensive. Everything else should support and care and love and cherish a hundred times over. So when we, when we talk about the gospel and we talk about what the gospel call is, it looks so stark. It's so different. It is a tremendously different kind of life that Jesus calls us to. And so we never bring an offense in any other way. We never hold anything over anyone's head. We accommodate in every possible way we can so that the gospel is primary. The only offense should bring a gospel offense. Every other offense in ministry should express lavish care on our people. Amen? Sorry. Therefore, we need to let kids be kids. We have to let kids be kids. We have to understand that God has called parents to parent. Parents are parenting, and we, as children's ministry, we have to let kids be kids. We simply have the opportunity to stand beside our parents for one hour. I mean, think about that. That's all we get. Maybe two if they're in Sunday school. What do we think we're going to do in two hours? Really? We're going to parent them? We're not going to do that. Parents can hardly do that, and they have them all the time. We're not going to be able to do that. So why try? Come alongside these families, support them, help them. We should expect childlessness. Be on guard. Expect kids will struggle. Remember, there are mistakes and behaviors basic to life as a child in immaturity. They're growing. We should be less concerned with their behavior and more concerned with how we can make the time we have with them absolutely enjoyable. We are to bear up with a child's behavior for the time we have them. It's no big deal if they don't say please and thank you. It's okay. 
It's not our job to do that. That's the parent's job to do that, to deal with that. If they don't sit perfectly still, it's okay. Keep the perspective that kids will not get it. Yes, be consistent. Yes, be joyful. Allow age-dependent freedoms. Love kids. Enjoy kids. Love them warts and all, as they say. Keep kids comfortable. Keep them safe. Be attentive. Know the kids by name. Know the kids by name. Have joy. Take joy in the opportunity to care for children. Parents are deeply ministered to. I know this because I'm a parent, and you've been a parent, or you are a parent. Parents are deeply ministered to when they see us loving on their children. They're deeply ministered to when they see us loving and caring for their children. There's no greater way for us to minister to them than showing that kind of love for their kids. Have the right expectations, which is to say have very little (laughs) realistic expectations for for a child's good behavior. Set standards that kids can easily meet. The standard is not perfection. Be gracious. Overlook offenses. I'm saying the same thing over and over. There are guests. Reset your expectations of what what you are called to do so you won't get frustrated, so that you're not displeased, so you're not discontent. Be interactive. Encourage them with your interests in their interests. Be excited with them. Maintain high energy. Make the time you have with them enjoyable. More joy, less rules. Again, We're not here to parent children. It's not the responsibility of a children's ministry to parent children. We are not here to fix a child's behavior. We are free from such responsibility. It's not our goal. It's not our aim. It's not why we're here. That's the parent's responsibility. Therefore, we don't feature discipline. We don't feature discipline. We don't feature rules. We don't feature correction. We're not rearing the children left to our care. They're learning discipline at home. They're not going to get any more of it from the time with us. If they aren't learning learning discipline at home, well, they're not going to get any of it learning from us or being with us for the two hours that that we have them. If we feature a disciplined environment, then kids will dislike the time we're with them. Too many rules, too high of behavioral expectations can frustrate and exasperate children. And the root of that exasperation is that we are not their parents. They're going to push against us. We're not their parents. It's not our role. We shouldn't do it. We don't ever want to be the cause or a cause of a child's discouragement. Of course, I'm not saying that there's not order in our classrooms. There, there will be order and there ought to be order in a, child, in a children's ministry, but we don't need excessive control is what I'm saying. That is, we don't need too many rules. We don't need to micromanage our kids. We don't need pointless rules, rules that are just there for our own interests, and we don't need unre- unrealistic rules. Understand, I'm not saying we don't have rules and we don't have order. I'm saying our children's ministry classrooms are a, I'm not saying that our classrooms are a free-for-all. What I'm saying is that any rule or any expectation should be there for class management. That's why the rule is there. It's to manage and bring order to the classroom. It's not to train or to correct children. You, You see, the goals there are different. We're not training and correcting children. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to bring order so we can teach a lesson. We're managing the classroom. Those are two different things. And I, by the way, I think we're doing that. I'm not saying we're not doing that. We, again, this is not a corrective. We are doing that. We need to keep doing that in our classrooms. Oh, so much more I could say here. Uh, What I'm suggesting here, I'm going to skip, skip ahead a little bit here in my notes. What I'm suggesting here is that one of the best ways to honor parents, one of the best ways to honor our parents is not 
to parent their kids. We don't honor parents by taking on their role. We honor them by creating a fun and engaging environment that communicates love and care for their kids, a lavish care environment. That's the best way for us to minister to our kids. That's what a parent wants. That's what I want. I want my kids to come out of that children's ministry with a giant smile on their face. How was it? That was fun. I loved my time in the children's ministry. I want to go back. That's what we want. That's what we're after. I'll say more about that in a, minute, in a moment. It ought to be our pleasure to serve and honor the parents in our ministry by giving their kids a positive environment that is loving, forgiving, humble, sweet, fair, gracious, generous, happy, friendly, sensitive, and approachable. So let's honor the priority of parents by understanding the difference between our roles and their roles, and let's give their kids the best experience possible while they're here. Amen? Okay, so number one, God's, understand God's special love for children. Number two, uh, understand a child's spiritual potential. Number three, honor the priority of parents. Number four and five go together. Go together. Number four is get the character of God correct. This is, this is talking about the content of our ministry. What are we teaching in children's ministry? We have to get the character of God correct. Uh, again, this is about the content of the ministry, what we are te teaching. The first thing we want to stress is the character of God. What do I mean by that? Well, who's the main, who's the main character in the story? David and Goliath. Who's the main character? Is David... Is, is David and Goliath a story about, you know, uh, Billy conquering his enemies? No. That's not what the story is about at all. What the story is about is it's about a great God. That's who the main character is. And so that's what I mean by get the character of God right, is that God is the main, is the main character. You know, Jonah and the whale. It's not a whale, right? It's a big fish. You know, what's, what's, the, what's the story about? Is the story about, you know, a man getting swallowed by a big fish? Who's the central character? God is the central character, right? The story is about the fact that God will forgive anyone if they repent. That's what the story is about, even those crazy Ninevites. That's what the story is about. And so God is the central character, the main character of Joshua in the city of Jericho. Is it Joshua? Is it Jericho? No, it's God, right? God is the main character. Who's the main character of the Bible? God is the main character. And so that's what I mean by get the character of God correct, is that we want to focus on who God is. I said number four and number five go together. Yeah, number four and number five. So get the, get, uh, get the character of God correct. And then number five, I'm skipping down to number five, uh, Leslie, get the gospel right. Get the gospel right. These points fit together. Get the gospel right. <clears throat> the character of God is the carrot that draws out the child's heart toward accepting the truth of the gospel. You can know God, this amazing God. You can know him, and you can be his friend. And so we have to get the gospel right. If we were to create a, create a list of all the characteristics of God, all the different things that we might pull out of a text, I mean, you could get to 50, and you could keep going and going and going. There's no end to all the attributes and all the, the different character uh, ideas that are, that are found in who God is. Well, what about those gospel realities? Well, the same is true there. And what do I mean by gospel realities? Well, you know, a reconciliation, uh, expiation, propitiation, redemption, all of those kind of gospel central truths, substitution, all of those ideas are there. There's hundreds of them. Each 
can be drawn out of the text. And so as I've said, most of our children are unbelievers. We must preach the gospel to kids and lead them down the right path. Children will follow you. Don't let them follow you in the wrong direction. We have to get God right and we have to get the gospel right. I'm not saying that there's a formula here. There isn't a formula. Uh, We don't lead children to a sinner's prayer. That's not the practice that we do here. We don't do that on Sunday morning. We don't do that in our children's ministry. We're not asking kids to, to go through some rote kind of thing, some sinner's prayer, and then all of a sudden, you know, bless them like they're saved. We would never do that. What we want to do is we want to make the character of God so clear and the gospel so clear that the only thing left for the child to do, child left to do, is to pray that pray them, prayer themselves. God, be, be, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. That we want those realities to be crystal clear in their mind so that they are the ones that make that prayer. It's not us praying those prayers for them. Children are very impressionable. You know this. Paul made the point in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Therefore, we must be patient and cautious with children. We ought not jump to conclusions about a child's salvation. We don't need to jump the gun. Children's ministry curriculum must focus on the character of God and the person of Christ. The goal is to prepare the heart for them to trust in Christ. Romans 10, 17 says, for faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we deliver the message and we trust that God will work in their heart as they hopefully profess faith. I'm just gonna nod at point number six here uh, just so it's in our list because I wanna use this list later on in our ministry, but number six is this. You can just write it down if you're taking notes. Feature leadership and leadership development. I'm not gonna say much here. Just it's enough to, to get it out there that we have to talk about leaders in our ministry. So hopefully we'll do that in the future. Number seven, this is my last point. So let me review. Number one, understand God's special love for children. Number two, understand a child's spiritual potential. Number three, honor the priority of parents. Number four, get the character of God right. Number five, get the gospel right. Number six, feature leadership development. And number seven, finally, minister to kids in a kid-appropriate way. Minister to kids in a kid-appropriate way. I wish I wasn't out of time. This point dovetails with so many things that I said earlier about children's ministry being a yes in environment. And, and this point can be captured in one word, F-U-N, fun. Kids deal in the currency of fun. It has to be fun. Children's ministry has to be fun. That's what I mean by kid-appropriate manner. What we're doing in children's ministry has to be fun. They have to be having fun. You remember 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul said, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul became a servant to all. He became anything to anyone. You want me to eat that? Okay, I'll do it. You want me to not eat that? Okay, I won't eat it. I'll do whatever it takes so you can hear that gospel offense, so I can communicate Jesus Christ to you. Well, can we get on our knees and play with kids? Can we have fun? Paul was able to communicate with, with his, when he was doing evangelistic work in, in, a, in a person's terms, shouldn't we also communicate in the terms of the kids around us? What about Jesus? What did Christ do? Did he communicate to, to people in, in, in their terms? Well, why is, there, why, can't you, why is it that you can go to the Bible 
and I'll challenge you with this, go to the Bible and try to find one evangelistic methodology in the Bible, one pattern for evangelism. Try to draw that out from the New Testament. I dare you. It's impossible. Why do we have so many different brands of evangelistic tools? Why do they all look so different? Well, it's simply that you can't find one method in the Bible because Jesus, in every place, he deals with people exactly where they are. He deals with them right in their terms. So if he's speaking to the woman at the well, it's unique. If he's speaking to Nicodemus, he's speaking unique to Nicodemus. Every instance is entirely unique because Jesus condescended. He steps down and he speaks to people where they're at. And so we have to minister to kids in a kid-appropriate way. And the way to do that is through fun. Kids deal in the currency of fun. What else? Well, I think that's it. I think that's all I have time for. Seven pillars of a God-honoring children's ministry. Understand God's special love for children. Recognize a child's spiritual potential before God. Honor the priority of parents. Get the character of God correct. Get the gospel right. Feature leadership and leadership development. And minister to kids in a kid-appropriate manner. I told you our goal was from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. Remember, I quoted you this in the beginning. For we are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for such things? This is the privilege we have in children's ministry. And so my goal is that every single one of you would be involved in children's ministry in some way, I don't know, over the next year, that we would all be engaged in the life of this ministry. Let us draw children to the Savior by engaging their young hearts with a great vision of God and filling their young minds with the truth of the gospel for the glory of God. Amen?